Hey, this is Daryl. We have six listener questions for you on today's show and the correct number of times to wash your hands when you go to the grocery store. How about that for a teaser? Before we get to the questions, today's episode of the Total Sock Show is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast, like a tiny podcast, from GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you, with indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home. Remarkably Remote is here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add Remarkably Remote to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. May I suggest the podcasting app you are using right now. And welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man who always washes his hands after he's been grocery shopping. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Uh, before, sometimes during and then always after as well, yes. Do you take hand sanitizer to the store as well? Uh, I, I leave it in the car. I, I'm not that uh, extreme with it, although I think you are supposed to like wash it. Now, I think my, my wife misread the article and said, like, when you enter upon entrance and then when you leave and then like something else. Like she said, you have to do it four times. I think it's only the two times. So just do it a lot, do. basically. Yeah. Do and it don't a touch lot. your face. <laughs> do it a lot. And I also, I would recommend one big grocery shop, which isn't normally mm-hmm. what I'd recommend. So you don't have to go very many times. That has been what we've uh, been doing. Uh, then I had to uh, repair repair a leak in our kitchen, uh, which required us to stop using the sink. So it's Ooh. been one big grocery trip and then uh, no sink for the last like three days. You fun love, times. Fun times. You love a bit of DIY, though. Uh, this time I did not. Oh. This time I did not. And I would just like to say to the people who owned the house before us, thanks a lot. It's been great. <laughs> it's been great. It's been real fun. It's been real, real fun. <laughs> Was it something they sort of uh, sli- slipped in? Uh, it was something that they didn't uh, slip in, which was gaskets in the uh, connections at our sink. And anybody who knows what that means just went, oh, no. And they're correct. So this is like a player with a dodgy knee, but you, uh-huh. <laughs> you yeah. signed them anyway because they hid the knee for the uh, the medical. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> and then also maybe like the uh, virus from uh, Outbreak as well. Ooh, which has a weird <laughs> name, right? Like Ebola, but not Ebola? The Matoba? Mo- Mo- Matoba? Something like that? Mr. Matobo or something. A Matobo virus. There wow. it is. Off-brand yes, of Ebola. Course. Pro-Evo yes. Ebola. That's what I'm yeah. going <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. So we have got mm-hmm. five or six listener questions to answer mm-hmm. on today's show. I like to give us a little bit of leeway just in case. Um, but first, we should tease what we've got coming up up on the total soccer show taylor we have a couple of initiatives i'm going to call them we do indeed uh uh, we've got one that i'm i am going to be uh, a big part of and very excited for and we've got one that i am not so let's start with the one that i'm less excited for because i won't be involved let's talk (laughs) you and george reading books yeah so myself and george koreshi a managing editor of the athletic soccer section um we are reading david goldblatt's the age of football and we're essentially just going to have a discussion about each chapter. So we invite listeners to um, read along with us. I'd also say if you don't read the book, it still should make for interesting reading. We'll make sure to make the conversation accessible to people who haven't read the book. But if you want to read the book and you want to do it affordably, because George chose a book <laughs> that is only available in hardcover, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like 20 something dollars if you want to buy it. You can um, get the Kindle version for $14. And I found this out via George. You don't need to own a physical Kindle. You can just like download a Kindle app and then buy buy the book and use like your iPad as a Kindle. Did you know that? This was news to me. Uh, n- no, I did not know that. Uh, I- I'm busy just trying to figure out if there's a way that we could have made it less convenient. Like you have to hike to the Alps to place your order like using Quill and Ink. That's the only way you can get the book. <laughs> and someone will write it out in Quill and Ink for you. Exactly. <laughs> But I, genuinely, I've read most of the first chapter mm-hmm. to prepare. It really is a book worth discussing because David Goldblatt is the man in terms of getting into global soccer and politics and how everything's connected and how things have changed. He like, really does his research and goes and visits places and finds out for himself. Um, so there'll be, there will be a fascinating discussion. I'm pretty I confident. Am, I'm so excited about that conversation. I really am. Not just because it's uh, David Goldblatt's a very good writer. It's, I'm sure, an, an interesting book, 
but it's also you and George are somehow simultaneously like the odd couple and also the even couple. Like you get along very well. You're both very uh, amicable, very affable. But I think also you're like a bit more like, okay, so what are we doing? And George is like, I have some thoughts. Uh, and I think I'm I have really a thousand excited. ideas. <laughs> What's that? I have a thousand ideas. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which I'm aware is a little bit of a pot kettle black situation, uh, but <laughs> it'll just be nice to hear it from an outsider's perspective. Yeah, time. I do. I do call George Florida Taylor. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, I guess that's okay. Although you know that I don't like to be in any way affiliated with Florida. Tampa Taylor. Oh, that, that did make it better. <laughs> oh, either way, that first episode will be recorded this week, maybe published this week, but it's coming up pretty soon. So if you want to join us in reading, um, I'll put links in the show notes so it's easy to find the book. What's our other initiative that involves you, Mr. Rockwell? Changing my nickname to Jacksonville Taylor, which is what <laughs> I want to be in honor of Jason Mendoza. Our other one uh, is the reason why Go I'm bottles. going to the office to get a different... <laughs> Go Derek Bortles. Now, now it's now it's a clue. Um, uh, I will be going into our office to get David Goldblatt's other book uh, to be reading about some historical teams because we are doing our classic club team knockout competition. Yes. We're, we are getting it underway. We're going to be doing the draw tomorrow. Uh, we're going to do an actual draw. Uh, I think we're going to maybe uh, choose names out of a hat. Maybe we will film that or have uh, some video for you, uh, provided it's entertaining enough and we don't uh, ruin it between now and then. I feel like English style won out here because American style yes. is very much to like do seeds and a bracket and all that sort of stuff. We are mm-hmm. doing um, balls in a cup <laughs> and you pull them out and it's a completely open draw. Mm-hmm. Here is where... like. British style absolutely won, and the reason why is because American style in this situation eats itself, because though I am, like, I do love a bracket, I like March Madness, I'm used to a bracket, you immediately run into seating issues, and no matter what we did, somebody would be angry from yeah. the outset. So we're avoiding rankings entirely. Yes, we are. But so for people end, just to make this really clear for people, we are taking, mm-hmm. like, some of the greatest teams of all time, like, mm-hmm. let's say, uh, Manchester United 1999, and... Liverpool's 2005 team, mm-hmm. or no, actually Liverpool's current team, right, is the, yep. the entrant we've got for Liverpool. Uh, like the I think early, we have two for them, don't we? The early Real mm-hmm. Madrid team. Yeah, we've also got a Liverpool team mm-hmm. from like 81 to 84 that was really yeah. dominant uh, in Europe. And we're, we're going to draw them against each other and we're going to match them up. And we're going to sort of talk about what would happen if these two teams played each other. And I think the reason we're doing it, correct me if I'm wrong, Taylor, is basically as an excuse to talk about some of the magnificent players that played for that team and just to get a sense for how these teams played. Yeah, I'm I'm excited to do that because with so many of these teams, you read about them, you hear about individual moments or individual players. You don't really watch that much footage of them, yeah. uh, provided footage exists. So I want to do that, but I'm also increasingly really into the idea of like the philosophy of soccer. And I know how strange this is sounding, but uh, you know we're we're on quarantine, so you got to find your interest somewhere. <laughs> uh, just like the idea of how much like Bella Goodman, uh, reading about him for the Benfica curse, uh, which Ryan and I talked about on the Monday show. Yeah, like reading about him being like in these coffee shops around like the intelligentsia and these new ideas of liberalism and and like far left politics and how that influences his idea of soccer like I'm really interested in the idea of philosophy and how soccer evolves and how tactics evolves and belief about soccer evolves and so if we get a 1950s team versus a very stodgy Italian team or something like that I want to see how that all kind of clashes and how a modern team does against a historical team I think it's it lays the groundwork for some interesting conversations as well Absolutely and I hope you don't mind me sharing this but one of the key things you said to me off air is we need to not be too reverential, right? Because yeah. it can't be an entire episode of us being like, oh, and he was great, and he was great. Oh, and yeah. they were wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think we need to like maintain a sense of humor and a sense of uh, realism about these players. Yeah, I mean, I-, I envision doing it the way we do sort of combination of like world cup previews and reviews of like like maybe we'll find players that we like 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 migrate towards naturally and they become our favorites and we kind of like talk about them at every opportunity. But oh, you mean nineties Maldini? Uh, that's the obvious one, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I don't, I don't foresee us doing that with every single team because then suddenly you're just listing every player and their career achievements and how they're all very good. But yeah. the point every is, every team has a weak very link, good. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, even what Phil Neville played for the '99 Man United team. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that. So much. <laughs> all right, are you ready for today's today's questions, Taylor? Yes, the less said about Phil Neville, the better. <laughs> First question we have is from Ben Sundstrom. I'm actually mm-hmm. not confident Phil Neville played for that 1999 team now. I'm going to. I also don't really have any particular beef with Phil Neville aside from he occasionally puts his foot in his mouth. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, 
congrats to him for being limber. Um, first question <laughs> is from Ben Sundstrom. Ben wants to know, if FIFA were to switch all international tournaments to be co-ed, 5-5 five, five for field players. So like perfect gender balance in the outfield. Five mm-hmm. female players, five male players. Goal is change at half. Um, where would you rank the United States and why? Which countries rise the most and which countries fall the furthest? Mm-hmm. So I looked at this like sort of mathematically, like actually looked at the FIFA world rankings. For some of them, I just did like a quick average of like, well, they're very good and this one is very bad. So yeah. averaging out, they're like middle of the pack. Uh, but I'll start with the first part of the question first, as Bert Happily would want. <laughs> um, uh, I would say the United States, they obviously uh, do better in the rankings. Yes. I don't know if they improve that much, though, because you have uh, the U.S. Uh, women's right now, obviously, number one. The men are uh, 22. But it's not the case that there are so many teams in between that either don't have a women's program or their women's program is so far down that like it it sort of pulls other teams out of position with a lot of teams sort of like France for example I think they're third in the world for women number one in the world for men they're not really dropping down that much so they would probably be number one for me in the co-ed rankings I have the United States around number 10 that makes sense to me yeah so if we use maybe we use the men's ranking as the base because more people are familiar with men's world rankings than women's I think you're right that France would be number one because, yeah, they just won the World Cup with the men. And they have a women's team that is capable of winning the, winning the World Cup, yeah. but hasn't quite done it yet. But mm-hmm. if you, you bring in like Amandine Henri and Marjorie and Les Sommers or maybe Renard, you, you really have a team that is, um, it's not bringing France down, right? And I, no. would, I would say the same for Germany, for England coached by Phil Neville, um, mm-hmm. for the Netherlands. And I would say Brazil just about get away with it. Like, even yes. though their men's team is better um, in terms of uh, world ranking than their women's team is, I think there's like, maybe a lack of depth on the Brazilian women's national team, but you can easily get five or six good players. And I think you could still field a really strong Brazil uh, five and five uh, co-ed team. Yeah, I, I, yeah, you'll get no arguments from me. And Imagine so the Dutch. Have- Imagine the Dutch adding Van der Dunk and uh, Miedemar and all those players to their, their current men's team. Yeah, who are the men's teams not ranked very high, at least for those programs right now. Uh, number 14 are the Netherlands, number 15 are Germany. So I, I still think I'm with you, though, that they probably move way up the rankings. Maybe yeah. like Uruguay, Croatia, who are five and six right now, you maybe know, they f- fall further back a bit. Do you know what this Dutch team could accomplish um, combining the men's and women's teams? Okay. I think they could be losing World Cup finalists again. <laughs> I thought you were going with like a. I was ready for like total orange or something. Like <laughs> I wasn't ready for you just to straight up say facts. Sorry, That's Dutch outstanding. listeners. Sorry, Dutch listeners. Who you mentioned some teams that lose out, Tyler. My list was Argentina, Portugal, mm-hmm. and Belgium um, in terms of falling furthest from where they are in the men's yeah. rankings. Um, I don't know much about the Portuguese or Belgian women's national teams, um, which yeah, I think I is probably evidence that they're not very, they're not that strong. Fledgling is what I would call them. Fledgling. Yeah, okay, okay. Uh, but the men's teams are not right, and then mm-hmm. Argentina. We learned at the World Cup, right? It's really all about Estefania Banini, but there's only one of her. You can't have five Beninis. <laughs> I mean, you can. You just won't feel good about it. Uh, Belgium, uh, 17th in the world of the women's side. You're, you're thinking uh, of Panini's. 32. You're thinking of Paninis, right? Uh, I think like Paninis and Bellinis, and there's one more in there. Beignets, maybe you add all those together. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. I talked over you uh, giving me the women's rankings for Portugal and Belgium. Uh, Belgium, 17. Uh, Portugal, 32nd. Interesting. Uh, but I, I still think they they don't fall as much. And the reason why I don't have uh, the American program moving further up is just because I think with a lot of programs, like like on the men's side, you have a bit more flexibility in terms of, like, you could basically pick any five players from the French men's team and any five players from the France women's team. And I feel like you could put together a good team. Yeah. But I think as you kind of, kind of go uh, further down the table where there's less development, looking at Portugal, for example... Like, I think Portugal have the depth on the men's side or the relative depth on the men's side that you can sort of pick and choose the players on the women's side that will best, like, fit. And then you can add in the players you need from the men's side. Whereas with the U.S. men, I don't know if you have that luxury. (laughs) Like, I think you kind of have to pick specific players if you want to try to be super competitive in this co-ed World Cup that we're going to assemble. I agree. And you you put the U.S. at what, like 10th or 11th, which is basically halfway between their number one women's world ranking and their number 20 something uh, men's world ranking. So that really does feel about right to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I've got I want to pitch an idea at you, Taylor. The the men's team that would benefit the most. I I can take a shot. It's Canada. Okay, you are close mathematically. I mean, on the field, I feel Mm -hmm. like it's Canada, not least because they have a men's team with 
quite a few stars, but not really a full team. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? You've got like Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David and guys like that, but you can't really put out a super strong Canadian eleven. Yeah. But then you've got um, a women's team that also has some really high-profile players, like obviously Sinclair, but Buchanan is a defender I'm really impressed with. Jesse Fleming pulling the strings in midfield. I really think suddenly you go from two teams that are like the women's team is like two-thirds really good and the men's team is maybe half good you can suddenly put together a really strong 11 from a, a for a canada co-ed yeah co-ed they're be great quarterfinalists they, i think they'd go further i think they'd go further you think semis yes i mean yeah I'd, i would i'd back them all right yeah i mean because you got to get past at that point what if you're getting to the semis it's it's canada and then it'd be france i'm assuming do you have i'm assuming you're putting england there because you're daryl I mean, I haven't really imagined a tournament, but England feel like losing semi-finalists to me <laughs> based on recent <laughs> history. Um, I'd also, how about this for Canada? They have a, a men's head coach who has also actually coached the women's national team. Oh, that's useful. Yeah. I think. In, in this situation, that's In this useful, situation, it is, yeah. Um, the, so, okay, I like, I like the shout for Canada. The other one that uh, I, I felt like benefit, it's the North Korean men's program. They're really moving up the ranks on this one. Oh, they're getting dragged up by the women, right? Uh, the women are 10th in the world. The men are 116. Ooh. So, yeah, they're moving up some spots. I think if you average those together, they're moving up like 63 places. So to the second part of the question, uh, I think North Korea really benefit in terms of moving up the most. I've got two other teams that I think would do well. Sweden, yep. who have like an average men's team, but a really good women's team. I, I put them right around the uh, the U.S. co-ed 11 of like they're either like 10th or 11th. In the yes. World. So maybe they'd meet in the round of 16, right? Yeah. Um, I think the women are fifth, the men are 15th or something like that. Or 17th, I think. And how about Wait, Australia? 17th. How matter. about Australia? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Australia, seventh in the world for women, 42nd for men. So I think, yeah, they, they yeah. jump up quite a bit uh, do the, the men, courtesy of the women. I mean, I do, I do like using the numbers and averaging mm-hmm. it out, but I also just like the, idea of, I like the <laughs> idea of, say again? I said, no, you don't. Well, <laughs> I appreciate you doing it. Let's put it that way. Um, but also, I think it is worth thinking about like, where you can plug certain gaps. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Australia suddenly has a deadly strikeout in Sam Kerr, which the mm-hmm. men's team didn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, they have an equally deadly for themselves defense. Yeah. That's the problem. <laughs> but there's also, isn't there a carpenter? You know, the fullback who mm-hmm. was uh, really, really good for yep. Australia. I just, I really feel like this Australia co-ed team could, could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right. Okay. I can see them moving up. It's still, it's still tough for me to see. I think you're probably right that it's like a France-Germany final, though, I think, in the yes. end. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I would watch that. S- somehow the Netherlands would be runners-up as well. Yes, a France Germany final with <laughs> Netherlands just getting the runners up medals no matter what. <laughs> I'm Perfect. sorry, Dutch fans who are listening. I'm really sorry. And there, there are some of you. We know that statistically from our numbers. We know there's at least one Dutch person out there who's yes. curling their fist in frustration. <laughs> All right. Anything else to add in terms of this, uh, this big. Uh, uh, 50% co-ed tournament that Ben wants to put together. Yeah, I've got a bunch more numbers to run by you. No, uh, th- that's it for me. Uh, other than my final one note was uh, Japan are probably uh, a decently squ- solid squad as Japan, well. Japan, of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good on both fronts, right? Yes, sir. Um, okay, next question mm-hmm. is from Julia Harold. Julia wants to know, what is the plan for the women's Euros? Are they being pushed back a year or will they, will they be able to coexist with the Olympics? So for those who don't mm-hmm. know, the women's Euros were scheduled for the summer of 2021 in England, but now the Euro- the men's Euros have been pushed mm-hmm. back to 2021, and the Olympics have been pushed back to 2021. Mm-hmm. So instead, uh, they are going to be pushing, from what I read, the women's Euros back to 2022 with yep. a July start. Uh, and I read the headline, uh, not the entire article, a la Knives Out, uh, but it sounds like they're going to try to do like maybe a couple different events coinciding on that final day to do like a super final Sunday uh, spectacular sort of situation. What in 2022? Yeah, 2021. 2022, I believe. So what else is happening in 2022? That is a great question. Because <laughs> not the World Cup, right? The World Cup yeah. is in November, December. Yeah, so I don't know if that's if they're going to like push other youth tournaments that would normally be happening and do like a U20 sort of tournament there. But it, it sounds like they're going to like combine some youth tournaments and anything else that would be happening to kind of clear the schedule a bit more to where they have a bit of flexibility because the Men's World Cup is uh, later on in that year. I see. But why would they mm-hmm. deliberately put finals on the same day as the Women's Euros? This sort of repeats the mistake of 2019, right? Where the Women's World Cup final was the same day as the Gold Cup final and the Copa America final. You're you're aware of what FIFA is, right? Yeah, they think that worked. <laughs> they thought that was a great idea, and they still do. Oy. Did they make billions of dollars that they didn't report? Yes, of course. So they're fine. <laughs> but to answer Julia's question, I think mm. this is, basically has been confirmed, right? That the Women's yep. Euros is pushed back a year to 2022. So everything mm. is being pushed back a year, basically. 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and as we said, and we'll continue to say, it's not ideal. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of conflict and weird schedules, and some tournaments will like not necessarily lose importance, but it will just be weird situations, and it won't quite feel right. But that's yeah. kind of the nature of the situation, and we'll just have to deal with it. Which I think we will. I think that's about right. I think that's a good attitude mm-hmm. to have. Um, I, okay, I've realized that I've asked the first yeah. two questions, so I think I should mm-hmm. throw to you to ask the third question. I feel like this was a smart strategy by you because you knew I had a long answer to this. Uh, Cameron Reader, uh, who Daryl stresses, uh, is an ICU nurse. So normally we don't take like like questions that have specific categories, but we're doing it for Cameron. Yeah, normally, uh, normally we don't agree to your rules, but we are for Cameron because Cameron's an ICU nurse. <laughs> Indeed. Which professional team would be your ideal place to play if you were a professional footballer? Uh, I'm interested to hear what you value in terms of culture, food, or privacy, what you would choose to avoid, fame, ruthless media, political, cultural atmospheres. Uh, so, we do have a couple questions, as we said. Uh, you must choose a team in a country other than your birthplace or current home nation. You can assume that you play 80% of matches and start 60%. You are a valued member of the team, but not the star, and you may not choose Man United or Wolves. <laughs> so just to reiterate, we do not agree to rules normally, but we are mm-hmm. doing this for Cameron because Cameron's an ICU nurse. Or if we use them, we tend to get sarcastic. <laughs> okay, are you ready for my answer? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to I take you through my thought process, basically. Mm-hmm. My first thought was I wanted to play for Dynamo Dresden. Um, wow. Because, I mean, so I visited Dresden just mm-hmm. the once, but really, really enjoyed it. I really loved the city. It's like a nice, compact city. I really like modern Germany in terms of culture. It's like a really well-organized, uh, <laughs> well-organized setup, right, in terms mm-hmm. of public transport. And uh, there's like a nice, nice bike path. I could really see myself biking around Dresden, going to cafes and beer gardens and outdoor movies. Um, so I was really into this. I like the size of Dresden as a club as well. Like it's a big-ish club, but not a massive club. Um, then I remembered that I was in Dresden in July and <laughs> that living in Virginia for a long time has spoiled me. Yep. And I really, really like the sunshine and I can no longer handle the cold. So I pulled out of the Dresden transfer at the very last minute. <laughs> so then I asked my wife. That is, Dresden is in East Germany, right? Yes, Cool. All right. Just wanted to make sure. Very cool in January, it yeah. turns out. Um, so, <laughs> so I asked my wife, and she thinks I would fit in nicely at Barcelona. She thinks I okay. would enjoy Barcelona. I guess mm-hmm. she's also thinking about where she wants to move to as well. Um, yeah, that, that factored into my thinking. Yeah. Well. So uh, now I've been to Barcelona a couple of times when I was a bit younger, though. But I remember it being a very cultured city, like lots of squares where you could sit out and have a drink or have a cup of coffee. Um, it's got a grid system, which I've gotten used to by living in the United States, which a lot of European cities don't have. But then I remembered that playing for Barcelona is an awful lot of pressure mm-hmm. and that there's a lot of weird internal politics going on, right? Especially yep. right now. And you know me, Taylor, I don't like to get involved in office politics. <laughs> so Yeah, I know. I keep, I keep trying to get you involved in all the hot office gossip we've got going on. <laughs> Between me and you. You won't have it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I keep rejecting your Zoom meeting request. <laughs> um, so then, here was the compromise that I pitched to my wife. Real Mallorca. Real okay. Mallorca. So it's one of the Balearic Islands. It's a place I've been to like several times, like family vacations and uh, vacations with friends. And I really do love the culture there. It's a nice, nice Spanish culture. It's got a vacationy feel about it, but it also has uh, Parma. The old city is big enough. It's like half a million people. So it's still a proper like cultured city, but with a nice old school feel to it. And then you've also got the owners. are uh, um, Robert Sarver's the big owner. He's the Phoenix Suns guy, right? But Stu Holden and Kyle Martino are also minority owners. So I still have some American connection. So, so Darryl, long Darryl way around, I'm going to Mallorca. Daryl is not a tattoo person. If you could go to Mallorca, but you had to get the Mallorca tattoo a la Stu Holden, would you still take that deal? Yeah, do I get to be a professional footballer? Yes. Okay, all right. Um, I will say there are red flags over here for me, Mr. Grove, because oh, yeah? I believe in a recent <laughs> What are you, a matador? Did, uh, yes, that, that <laughs> I am working on my career as a matador. Also, if you have not seen it, you should watch the movie The Matador. It's terrific. <laughs> uh, but uh, we did an episode recently where we were, like, we were asked um, if we could like, like drop three current U.S. men's national team players into a club, which one would, do we think would be the best? And I yeah. think you sent three players to Mallorca, and this feels like the beginning of you eventually writing an article about why you moved to Real Mallorca. I mean, because now I feel like we, you're, you're you're sending players there. Now you yourself are maybe moving there theoretically. Yeah, I feel like there's a, a deal in the works that I don't know about. I want to be teammates with John Brooks. That's what this is about. <laughs> <laughs> 
that that is very fair. That yeah. is very fair. Did you have any uh, uh, any more reasons or honorable mentions, or do you uh, do you want to get to those in a little bit? I mean, I think I've said enough. So let's right. <laughs> let's hear yours. Let's hear yours. Uh, I have I had four shortlisted. Uh, since you probably don't want to hear all about them, I have very quick uh, reasons for why they are the order they're in. Uh, number four was Fulham. Uh, because adorable, uh, adorable, and America and London, and maybe friends with Hugh Grant. That's what I had written down. A lot of that is that we were just, in wait, London. Wait, wait. You're just hoping uh-huh. to run into Hugh Grant to make friends. He's a Fulham fan. I feel like if I'm like you know a decent enough player, he's probably oh, I the forgot. Room, have, we'd have a level of fame, wouldn't we? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which does then remind me of like what Fulham is as a club and their kind of surrounding fan base, which is sort of what then soured me on Fulham. Okay. Uh, that's the downside to it. But I think it's because my wife and I were in London around Christmas, and London around Christmas is really a good time to be in London. Uh, so that kind of solidified that. Um, she was in Italy for a year, so I do have Torino down uh, because I could live in Tuscany without having to play for Juventus, learn Italian, and have a happy wife. <laughs> I had Dortmund because I, I, I'll speak, I will speak for you on this one. The atmosphere in both of the games we went to in Germany was incredible, and I think to get to play in that atmosphere consistently would pr- be pretty amazing. And then with Dortmund, it's a good team. I'm in there 60 to 80% of the time. I'm playing in some Champions League. I'm living in Germany. I'm drinking some, uh, some good beer. I think that works really well for me. But my final one, my, my, the one that I landed on, is not a team I talk about very often, but I do have their jersey. Can you guess who it is? Are you going back to no, Istanbul? No, I'm not going back to Istanbul. I was given their jersey as a mystery kit. Oh, you have Benfica? Benfica is the answer. I think you win some silverware. You get to play in the Champions League. You don't have to be sporting where their fans might attack you in the locker room. <laughs> that was kind of what moved that one away from me. But then you, I get to learn Portuguese. That is secretly a language as I've always wanted to learn, and I think it's uh, the coolest sounding language of any language. Okay. Uh, you live on the coast. You get to eat good seafood because I always want to eat seafood, but then when you're in the restaurant, you never actually order the seafood. Yeah, uh, yeah. But I feel like if you're in Portugal, like on the coast, you kind of have to. And you get good wine. You live in Portugal. You play for a team that's going to win some silverware, play in the Champions League. I think Benfica for me. I have been to a couple of Portuguese restaurants recently. Uh-oh. For some reason, I found them in Boston. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Like, See, really, go. really good stuff. Yeah. So, to- so you'll be in Mallorca. Uh, I'll be in Benfica. We'll be close enough. Yeah, we can visit, right? I did want to call you out on one thing, though. Uh, let's go back for a moment. I, I, I did find myself wondering if there is out there a global transportation podcast. And if so, do you think they roll their eyes as hard at when we say uh, Germany has a well-organized transportation uh, sector that like we do when people say Germany has a well-organized defense? Maybe. I don't know what the public <laughs> transport podcasts are like, but I'd, I'd find it, I think they'd find it hard to disagree. Um, so, I think if they exist, they're definitely eye-rolling. So they have to be. I'll give you an example. Like Compared to where mm. we live right now in Richmond, right? Dresden has a, a train station that is right in the middle of the city. It's got mm. loads of bike lanes, so it's really easy to get around. And it has like a, a really nice modern uh, streetcar, like light rail mm. type system that goes across the river and like around both Old Town and New Town. Yeah. Altstadt and Neustadt. Yeah. Daryl, here's what I would say to that. Uh, Imagine we're in Germany. Ask me what, the ta- what time the train is going to be there. What time is the train going to be there? 10.30. All right. Now ask me what time is the train going to be here when we live in the United States. <laughs> what time is the train going to be here, Taylor? Train? That's my answer to that. <laughs> yes, you are correct. The, uh, the trains are pretty good. The trains are pretty yeah. good. And we, we do have an okay-ish train uh, mm-hmm. service in Richmond, but you have to go out to the suburbs to get to the train station, basically, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm aware that larger cities have uh, larger public transport systems, uh, some better than others. But yes, here in Richmond, I wouldn't mind a train get me places. Yeah. Um, I want to give you my final pitch for why I'm going to Mallorca. It sure. really is the city. Parma, to me, is the perfect balance of like big enough city culturally, you know, half a million people and like feels nice and lively. But it's not massively crowded and it's not sort of overwhelming or, you know, you can sort of get sick of a big, big city after a bit. Um, mm. I feel like you can maintain that sort of big city feel, but also that vacation-y feel. Okay, but do they, have, do they have a skyline? Because from what I understand, there's only one skyline in all of <laughs> And it's in Frankfurt, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're going to a place that has a high fancy skyline, you're probably going to it because there's some sort of high fancy event, Daryl Grove. And when I say high fancy, I mean it is up in the air on a skyscraper and then also very fancy. You think I should uh, wear a tuxedo? I think you probably should. And if you wanted to either rent or own one, then you could utilize today's sponsor, the Black Tux. Uh, and if you uh, don't want to go traveling to have to get that uh, suit or tuxedo, then the Black Tux also has you covered because they've got an easy online ordering process. It brings your suit or tuxedo. 
tuxedo straight to you, uh, wherever you may be. So it could be at your home or it could be in that highfalutin uh, high tower somewhere when you're going to your ball slash event. So I would just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request the free home try-on so I can feel the fit and the quality before I commit. I can look at myself in the mirror, can check it with my wife. She'll say, ah, the, the pants are too short. And I can get it sent back and get it tailored to uh, fit me correctly. Mm-hmm. So if you, like, for example, are the owner of, let's just say, like Newcastle, and you maybe haven't been going out in public, uh, but now there's probably going to be reason for like a big PR event that you're going to be attending, you might need a suit because they might be totally uh, foreign and unfamiliar to you. So now you can uh, get one easily and you don't have to go out and have people like put tape measures to you and stuff like that. You answer some simple questions. They find the exact right fit right for you, Mr. Grove or Mr. Ashley, depending on who might be listening. Well, if you are Mr. Ashley, then we mm-hmm. know that you're cheap and you would love a 10% <laughs> discount um so if you want <laughs> you can order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and you can enjoy a 10 percent discount with the code soccer that's theblacktux.com code soccer for 10 percent off your purchase taylor i'll leave the tagline to you uh i will complete the tagline mr grove the black tux formal wear for the moment i may have already switched back over to the questions document and had to scramble really quickly you remembered uh, it correctly though Back to the questions document. Uh, Jared S. asks, or says rather, I always fall victim to that. Yeah, me too. On Soccer 101, Joe and Daryl recently reviewed the USMNT's 2009 win over Spain in the Confederations Cup. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Go listen to uh, it. It was really good. <laughs> uh, half of it was good. Uh, if you were to recreate the game plan, defend and transition in a 4-2-2-2 uh, with today's player pool, how would you line the United States up? So, Taylor, did you listen to that episode? Like, are you really familiar with Bob Bradley's 4-2-2-2? Uh, I listened to that episode while I was playing FIFA. So, yes, but kind also of. kind of. Yes. <laughs> so, to, to recap for our listeners, the way mm-hmm. that the US, for example, beat Spain in 2009 was this sort of, um, uh, what did Jared call it? Um, defend and transition mm-hmm. 4 2 2 2. So, it's a back four with fullbacks that don't get forward that much, but defend really well, really tight back four. It's two defensive midfielders, but one of them is allowed to leave and join the attack. It's two wide players. It was Landon Donovan and Clint Dempsey were the wide players who were allowed to drift central. So they could provide a wide threat, but they also provided like a central attacking threat. And then it was the Altador charlie Davies strike partnership. It was like one fast guy in Davies and one connecting guy in Josie Altador. Um, the two the two central midfielders, by the way, were the more defensive Ricardo Clark and Michael Bradley when he covered every blade of grass. It was like the old Michael Bradley who was all over the place. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was an important uh, thing to include in there because it does sort of re- like reveal the limitations of some midfielders. That's true. That is true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, one thing I wanted to clarify, you said uh, with fullbacks that stay back as opposed to maybe getting involved in that attack heavily. Yeah, like Danny Alves would not fit mm-hmm. in this system. You know what I'm saying? Right. The, I yeah. think the, the right back against um, Spain was Jonathan Spector, for example. Mm-hmm. He mostly stayed back and stayed tight. And I want to say the left back might have been Carlos Bocanegra. Um, and then sort of when when uh, Chirundolo was fit, it was often Steve Chirundolo who was the mm-hmm. right back. But he was known as, you know, really competent, solid defensive right back who can make James Milner cry. Uh, yep. <laughs> but he's not so much about like getting forward and whipping in crosses, right? It's mostly no, I mean- about being a steady defensive right back. As we talked about uh, in that interview with him, like uh, in the 2010 World Cup, he is not involved in the pylon celebration because he has stayed all the way back and yeah. is thus hugging the two center backs. Yeah. So yeah, I think you don't have a lot of aggressive forward play from your fullbacks. Uh, I just wanted to sort of go back to that for a moment because knowing that uh, and having paid attention to that, it was still sort of hard for me to not select the fullbacks that I selected. Right, because Serginho Dest would be mm-hmm. a weird right back to select in this lineup, for example. Yeah. But I also still want to choose him, okay. uh, sort of. Uh, I, I, I didn't, uh, but I, I, I did sort of find myself playing around with a, a lot of different formations. I had Weston McKinney playing six different spots at yeah, one point. Yeah, it's tough, right? Uh, or at various points, I should say. I never solved uh, so my midfield. Hard I'm path. really interested to hear who your midfield is. Do you, do you want to go from the back there? I'll tell you what, I will just hear out your team and I won't interject. No, 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 no. I, I'd actually rather hear yours first. Okay. Because <laughs> I feel like you're, you are going to have hard, harder opinions on this. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean because you spent the time and did that whole episode. So I'm, I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say and hear how much we disagree on certain things. Okay. So Zach Stefan in goal. Mm-hmm. All yep. right. My center backs, whose job really will be to block and tackle and clear and head away. Mm-hmm. John Brooks is the obvious yep. choice. And I went with Matt Miazga over Aaron Lung. Because mm-hmm. it's not about sort of like closing down space or being pacey and like 
covering ground like Aaron Long is. It's about just holding your ground and heading things away and being first to balls. So that's why Brooks and Miazga is my central defensive partnership. Um, right back, I went Reggie Cannon because I've mm-hmm. come to really trust his defending definitely a lot more than Sujinho Dests. Um, and left back, Tim Ream, like the, the centre-back come left back. So that's my back four. Um, my, yeah. Any any questions or comments so far? So th- this is... Li- if you can see my paper, it's basically ream with a cross out, dust with a cross out, ream with a cross out, <laughs> like over and over and over again. Because, yeah, it, it, it's for the reasons we've already talked about, it is probably Tim Ream. But that still feels just so strange to me to like have Serginho Dest on the bench when he can be so versatile. But it's why, to your point, Danny Alves probably doesn't fit this style. It's, again, going all the way back to it, the confusing aspect of the philosophies of coaching, that I want to have Serginho Dest in there, but in the end, I will finally cross him out and circle Tim Ream. <laughs> so my two midfielders... Mm-hmm. I couldn't get away from the idea of Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. Yep. And then it just became about who is asked to do what. Mm-hmm. Like Adams is, can cover a lot more ground and go roaming, but he's more defensively solid than McKinney. So in the end, what I've gone with is Tyler Adams in the Ricardo Clark role and Weston McKinney in the Michael Bradley role. Yep. So okay. Adams is asked to stay home a little more, but then he's he's like he's there as the first line of defense if there's a counterattack. Mm-hmm. Weston McKenney is allowed to roam and join the attack, but then obviously come back into the the two man mid- central midfield um, when we are defending. So Adams and McKenney right. were my two central midfielders. Right, and and I I had the same dilemma, and then I had the same dilemma in terms of where do you put Jackson Ewell in there, uh, and then I think what I came away from was the idea that, like you kind of don't, and it's yeah. why you have to like Jurgen Klinsmann twenty fourteen changes it up and has like the the kind of three slash four in there, is yeah. because you can't just have the two. But if we are going with the two in this situation, I don't think Jackson Ewell fits there. Uh, so yes, this is where I moved Weston McKinney from initially being a support striker uh, <laughs> to now yes, I had him in the same role. So my two wide players replacing mm-hmm. Donovan. And Dempsey, yep. uh, obviously Christian Pulisic, who I think mm-hmm. has a lot of similarities with Landon Donovan. Yeah. And I have put Serginho Dest on the other wing. Okay. Because <laughs> I think he's, he has all kinds of attacking talent that we just can't replicate. So mm-hmm. Serginho Dest as an out-and-out attacking winger who's allowed to dribble inside. All right, this is where we have our, our first uh, maybe disagreement. Okay. Uh, because I have gone for uh, Jordan Morris on one side as my uh, attacking winger who maybe doesn't do quite as much defending as maybe we're going to require, but I'm okay with it. And I had Serginho Dest on the left side. Okay. <laughs> so, oh, so Pulisic is one of your two strikers. But I guess if we're going to go, I, he is. But I guess if we're going to go cutting inside, maybe I put Jordan Morris on the left to kind of like tuck inside a little bit and Serginho Dest on the right. So then I guess maybe it balances out a bit more with what you have. So my argument for Pulisic out wide um, Mm -hmm. is that he can also come inside and play number 10 in the way that Donovan and Dempsey did in this system. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure Jordan Morris has the sort of creative playmaking chops to come inside and do that. I mean... You say that, and you know he's proved us wrong every time, Daryl. So <laughs> I hope you're ready for him to prove you wrong again. Uh, so then, who have you got up top? So in the Josie Altador role, mm-hmm. I've got Josmer Volmi Altador. Yep. <laughs> I was going to ask if it's distressing at all that it's the same person uh, from 2009. What, 11 years today. later, a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, um, a lot of, of care taken to on Josie's mm-hmm. hamstrings. We make sure that we make sure they're good. And then in the pacey center forward role, which is the Charlie Davies role, it's Jordan Morris. I've gone Jordan Morris because I think he's the quickest U.S. forward. Okay. Yeah, all right. You could, you could probably sway me on that one. It's, it's, it's strange to me thinking about this again, that like I always think of uh, Josie Altador, his position getting ironed out with Toronto FC, and it was uh, with him and Giovinco, but it was Giovinco staying a little bit higher and making those runs and causing problems, and it was Josie dropping in. Yeah, and that was awesome. where I, I thought about learning. of like, oh, Josie isn't the kind of like big, strong, lumping into him. He'll pull it down. He'll beat them in behind that he wants to drop in and have the ball at his feet. Yeah. And then I realized now, like, no, that started in 2009. That was this Confederations Cup team where we probably should have first learned that, that it's Josie making those plays and then Charlie Davies having that pace obviously other things aside from just pace yeah. but that's where that kind of formula really played out and that's why I put Christian Pulisic in there because I feel like he does have the pace but also the kind of technical ability and certainly like the technical technical ability again no disrespect to Charlie Davies that maybe Charlie Davies did not have so I felt like you could get a more potent strike force with uh, 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 Josie Altador and Christian Pulisic so the only thing we disagree on is whether it's Morris up front 
or Pulisic up front and Morris out wide or Pulisic out wide. We've just switched, we've got the same players just in slightly different positions. Yeah, which it's not I, mean, bad, I right? think again, no, I think it speaks to our lack of confidence in a lot of the attacking options for the US at the moment. Uh, and and so that's sort of where we are, I guess, <laughs> is <laughs> is it's putting the same people in different positions and seeing what sticks. Oh, and I've got the, um, the absolutely definitive piece of evidence that Josie Altador is not best suited as a target striker. Mm-hmm. And after watching Sunderland till I die, yeah, Sunderland played him there. Mm-hmm. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to say <laughs> to know that it was yeah. wrong. Mm-hmm. And then I remember <laughs> at one point reading that the problem with him at Sunderland was that he wasn't getting enough crosses. <laughs> it was like, uh oh, <laughs> that's not good. <laughs> all right, I feel like we answered that. I feel good about that. Did, I think so. Did anyone miss out that we feel sad about? Um. Like, no, maybe. I mean, Jackson Ewell. I, I've I have come to really enjoy Jackson Ewell, but I don't think he really yeah. fits too much. It's weird to not have Aaron Long in there, but I, I think for the purposes that we've talked about, of you want a kind of physical presence who can win stuff in the air, who can battle, who also has a little bit of the dark arts. I'm sure Aaron Long has that, but Matt Miazga, we know, can uh, kind of get in people's heads a little bit. Yeah. Uh, ask Diego Lenis. Yeah, I think someone like Ewell, it's it, it's it fits more in a Berhalter system than in this Bob Bradley mm-hmm. system, right? This yeah. this 2009 Bob Bradley system. By the way, if we had current Bob Bradley as men's national team coach. Um, we'd have something far more complicated based on what we see at LAFC. I, I just got a message from Adam Bells, who I guess has you bugged and knows that we didn't put Ulysses Yanez in there and is furious. I don't know how he knew that already. <laughs> oh, you know who would be great on the wings in this system mm. is either Ulysses Yanez or mm-hmm. Richie Ledesma. Richie Ledesma would be a great sort of uh, wide player coming inside to to pull some strings because he can. And you're the one who, you're the one who discovered Richie Ledesma, right? You've been on that hype train for a while. Yeah, I scouted him, and I'm like all over Twitter, keep posting highlights of him. All right, cool, cool. <laughs> oh, speaking of Adam Bell's, congratulations yeah. on the birth mm-hmm. of Langston Bell's. Yes, that's a solid name. Yes. Langston Bell's is that fe- that feels like the name that when I was a little kid and I heard about Leonardo DiCaprio, I was like, that's not fair. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, come on, come on, parents, you could have done better. Langston Bell's is 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 a famous name. I'm just saying it. First name on the team sheet: U.S. Men's National Team under ones. <laughs> I already tweeted that, but I thought I'd share that joke with you, Taylor. <laughs> well, I didn't see it, and I thought it was great. Uh, should we move on? Yes, please. Let's move on mm-hmm. to a question from Eldon Hasich. Eldon, I want to say thank you for the recent couple of emails you sent. Eldon sent a really good email. Um, first, we had a good exchange about Dwayne Holmes, but mm-hmm. Eldon sent us a second email um, about why Charlie Methven in Sunderland Till I Die could be pro-Remain, but have like you know mm-hmm. made money on the, the pro-Leave yeah. side of Brexit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, which is essentially, uh, you know, the, the, the way it works in the modern world. You advocate for one while secretly feeling another way. I mean, if you have no morals and want to make money, that's the way to go. <laughs> but Eldon has a good question for us. Um, yes. Eldon asks, is there a particular reason that the West mm-hmm. Indies have a combined cricket team but do not field a combined side in other sports such as soccer? So if people don't know, the West Indies, which is essentially like the, the old British Empire part of the Caribbean, um, has uh, an international cricket team that competes against England, Australia, India, Pakistan, and so on, um, as the West Indies. It's like an all-star, all-star Caribbean cricket team, which is its own international team. This, this usually, like when we get listener questions, I'll like scroll through the document, like, okay, yeah, I've got an answer for that one. I like that one. I might have to think about. This is the equivalent of getting to the test and just having no idea what the question is asking. I was like, I don't, I don't even know where to start with this one. <laughs> um, so I think we left it to you to maybe answer why they play as a combined one, but maybe not when it comes to football. Yeah. So the quick answer, I mean, I haven't found like a definitive source on this, but just from reading some history and figuring things out, is that. Cricket, international cricket predates international football in terms of it being around the globe, right? And back in the day, it was the England team or English teams would travel to play cricket against teams from other parts of the British Empire. That's why if you look at all the cricket teams right now, they're all former British Empire areas, right? Um, So this goes back to like the 1800s. Some English teams went over. And my guess is that the, uh, the teams in the Caribbean or the West Indies, as they called them, um, decided we want to essentially put out our best possible team to to show the English that we can try and beat them, right? So that was Mm -hmm. the impetus for having an all-star West Indies team. So they formed a West Indies cricket board, which is kind of like the football associations of of international cricket. Um, And then when the West Indies, when we started with like big, big test cricket, international cricket, the first West Indies international was against England in England in 1928. So all the way back in 1928, the West Indies put a team together again to go and play England. And you put your best collection of players together, right? To go and sort of 
prove to the colonial power that you you can compete with them so i the think colonial dream team right so I, but i think that's the impetus to it is putting your best possible team together to try and stick it to the english right and and now i'm gonna make the uh eyes roll over at the total total cricket podcast but like is this essentially what uh the the old boys wanted the old Etonians wanted in the english game of like we'll just export it to our colonies and everybody will everybody that cares about it will be our former colonies or our current colonies and that's how we'll spread this game i'm gonna say that marandin that's what he wanted yeah, that's how it feels. I'm totally guessing, but yeah. Um, and then, so basically, cricket's on a different timeline, right? So when mm-hmm. international cricket starts, it's a lot about British Empire and stuff. So there's there's not much value placed on the independence of individual nations of the Caribbean because they're British territories, and so that's how you end up with the West Indies team. Differently, when or I think that's also how you end up with them being called the West Indies. But yeah, exactly, exactly, right. <laughs> um, geographically inaccurate, but it does give them yeah, yeah. it does give them a cool cricket nickname. They're now known as the Windies, is their nickname, which is kind of a yeah. cool cool name. And they're actually, I don't know if they're good right now, but historically they have been a very good team. Um, so international soccer really gets popularized in a big, big way globally. Mm-hmm after the independence of a lot of these nations. So if you imagine like post-1962 is when Jamaica gets its independence. Um, If you're going to then compete in international sport, in international football, it's much more important now you have your independence to have the national soccer team as a sort of um, a a place to put all your your patriotism, right? So Mm -hmm. I think that's why you have much more of a... um, many more like proper national teams after colonial dip independence um, and when international football starts to grow. I've kind yeah, of stu- and, and I've stumbled it, all over that answer, but does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally does. Because it also makes sense that once you're post-colonial, once you're your own independent country, like maybe if you, ha- if you had this established system of like, oh yeah, we play cricket and this is how we play cricket and this is how we operate, that could kind of continue because it's been the status quo. But if you're kind of restarting from the ground up, of course you're going to have your own independent football club if you haven't had this sort of overarching West Indies football team uh, previously. So yeah, yeah, no, I think that makes uh, total sense. Yes, it's all about patriotism in the age of international soccer, Mm -hmm. basically. Indeed. Uh, Uh, And yet we're still going to try to do a combined 11. Yeah, so there's a second part of Eldon's question. Mm -hmm. Would a combined West Indies team challenge for World Cup qualification? Uh, so I did a little bit more digging on this one because, like, in terms of what the West Indies are, uh, there are varying, like, descriptions and there are varying designations. But I'm going with what basically the West Indies cricket team is. It's composed of different countries. Um, so you've got Antigua, Barbuda, Barbados. Uh, you've got Dominica, Grenada, or Grenada, 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 uh, Guyana, Jamaica, St. Lucia, Trinidad, Tobago. Uh, a couple other ones potentially joining up a couple other ones in there, like British Virgin Islands, uh, you know, because they've got that powerhouse team. BVI. And really... What it comes down to is you basically have the Jamaica squad with a few Trinidad and Tobago players and then a couple others kind of thrown in there as well. You've got a decent team, but I think they're probably like sort of, yeah, like they're in the hex, but they're probably not one of the top two or three spots is my guess. So, yeah, would a combined West Indies team challenge for World Cup qualification? Jamaica and Trinidad occasionally challenge for World Mm -hmm. Cup qualification, but not consistently, right? They've both made it. They both. I think Jamaica mm-hmm. went in '98. I want to say Trinidad went in 2006. So it's not impossible. But if you combine their teams, yeah, you don't think that they become like a top three hex challenger. No, and I think we're also in an era in which like Trinidad and Tobago is. They still kind of loom large for I think like you and me, uh, for lots of other people out there who've been like like with soccer since 2002 or 2006, as you said. But I think lately that team has fallen off quite a bit. So yeah. like, you've got Jovan Jones in there, but then after Jovan Jones, it's a lot of players that maybe we're familiar with from USL a little bit. But does that mean that you're pushing for World Cup qualification? I don't think so. Oh, so you're, you got, you're saying you got... the the era of like Dwight York or Kenwin mm-hmm. Jones, like that. Yeah. Those those star players are not there anymore for Trinidad. Yeah, like I have Joven Jones on the bench or maybe played out of position because otherwise he's going up against Kamar Lawrence. I would start Kamar Lawrence. I've got like Levi Garcia maybe starting on one of the wings, but his career hasn't quite like taken off the way we thought. And maybe Kevin Molino is one of your three midfielders in a 4-3-3. But for the most part, it's it's Jamaican players with, as I said, a couple other exceptions. Oy. What mm-hmm. what if we expanded the definition of West Indies to be all of the Caribbean? So we included mm-hmm. like um, the team that did really well, the Gold Cup, uh, Curacao or Curacao, mm-hmm. Curacao, I think is how you say it, right? If we're mm-hmm. able to include some of those Dutch second tier type players, does that does that strengthen the case or not? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's strange because it doesn't like it's not as though you're now combining like Costa Rica with this team and making them sort of untouchable. Yeah, it does add a couple more players. Yeah, I think probably throwing Curacao in there would have an impact. I doubt like if you're going like full islands, like I don't think throwing Cuba in there. Uh, makes much of a difference. I will admit I didn't look up St. Vincent and the Grenadines lately, so I don't know if they have any Ballon d'Or winners right now. Last I looked, they did not. How but dare you disrespect the Vinnies? <laughs> I will never disrespect the Vinnies. Uh, and you do have like you do have the the smaller ones because you do have a lot of people who maybe didn't quite make it in England or didn't like make the English national team, played maybe one game at U17 level who have since uh, declared their affiliation with other teams, like Ravel Morrison. Did you know that Ravel Morrison is now playing for Jamaica? I did not know that. Or not playing, has been called into Jamaica. Ah. Yes. Uh, zero caps so far. So actually, but you got other ones? This, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 no. It's just a couple of other, uh, other names, but we can do that in a minute. Well, I was going to say, this does raise the prospect of, if there was like an all-star Caribbean or a West Indies team, mm-hmm. maybe there are some... Oh, Haiti, by the way. Haiti would be a big one. Really? Oh, wow. Sorry. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe there are some um, English-born players with heritage from these islands yeah. who would now be more tempted to go and play for it because it's this more like all starry type team. Like maybe before, maybe a player would not be that interested in going and playing for uh, St. Kitts, right? Yeah. Because it's just like such a small nation. But maybe there's a bit more of a draw to a bigger team that has a better chance. They might end up attracting a higher level of player. Like you could end up with a bunch of championship or Premier League players. Yeah, and I think they probably would. And I think that's probably a good shout there. I should clarify, I was saying Haiti would be one if we expanded it to all of the Caribbean. They are not uh, one of the West Indies countries. But, yeah, I, I think you're probably right, that if you had just like a, like a Caribbean Union team, or a Caribbean Union team, I still don't know which one's right, uh, you probably would. Yeah, you could probably pull in some people who were in that championship level who recognize they're probably not going to get many looks. And so uh, instead of playing for Scotland or Ireland, they would just be playing for the Caribbean <laughs> Union team. So they, that, that is not how it works, by the way. <laughs> and you, no, I just I mean like, you know like it. it's it's really well, especially like uh, with Sunderland till I die and some of the players in there that it's like born in England uh, or like born in uh, like Ireland but plays for Scotland, born in Northern Ireland but like plays for like Scotland as well. Yeah, you know <laughs> like, what I mean. You have to weird, have, like you have to have a family link, like parents or grandparents. That's, right. I'm yeah. just saying it's, it would be no different than like having that link to Scotland or Ireland. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's the just exact same thing. this bigger, bigger team that could potentially make a big tournament. Yeah, and I want to I, I want to make sure that I'm clear with our listeners and with you. My argument was that if you're from one of those tiny nations. You're mm-hmm. probably just not interested in getting involved in that because there's no, oh, no chance okay. of World Cup qualification. So you might not mm-hmm. follow that heritage to international football. Yeah. But if mm-hmm. it is this more all-star team that really could use you and you're like, okay, I could go and play um, alongside Levi Garcia um, mm-hmm. or Leon Bailey, right? It, then it's a bit, more, a bit more tempting, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because once you have the kind of person who sticks around and does it, maybe more people yeah. will, uh, emulate that a bit. And then the US has to work even harder to get out of the hex. <laughs> that's a good thing that's a good thing <laughs> anything else to say on the West Indies no uh, I, I enjoyed that question it's why I enjoyed Lister questions because as I said I knew nothing heading into it and now I feel like I know at least something so you went in as Jon Snow and came out a man <laughs> Shreyas Romani with today's who final who doesn't run in straight lines zigzag <laughs> people zigzag Romani. serpentine Oh, he survived that battle. Shreyas Romani, what are the pros and cons? What are the pros and cons to having B teams Mm. play in a lower level of the soccer pyramid, like in Spain or the US, versus having them play in a completely separate league like in England? Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, so the the big advantage that I have uh, for Spain and the United States is just uh, that basically you're playing professional games. So, yes, sometimes you're playing other reserve teams if the situation calls for it. That tends to happen, I feel like, more in the United States where you have more teams playing in USL League One or USL Championship. Um, but aside from that, like you have – like we see it all the time with the Richmond Kickers when they have Toronto FC. Like they're playing 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds, and those 15-, 16-, 17-year-olds are probably very, very good, the best of the best in their area at 15 15, 16, 7, but when you're going against pros, you have to adjust your game, change your game, figure out what works and what doesn't work. Maybe you might be able to get past a slower, less technically precise 15-year-old, but a professional 28-year-old, they probably have seen and done a bit more. So you get that sort of real-world experience that you wouldn't otherwise get playing reserve and academy teams. I think that's one of the big pros. So I I would argue that all the pros are with the B-team or youth team that's playing professional football. And Mm -hmm. all the cons are with the league that's accommodating that. Agreed. So I would take the second division in the Netherlands, the Eerste Divisie, as a really good example. They have four teams, including like Young Ajax, Young PSV, Young Feyenoord, and I want to say Young Utrecht. 
the the four sort of youth teams that are in the second division. Um, all those players are getting really good experience, experience, right? This is how Sergio Dest came up, right? Playing for young Ajax in the second tier of Dutch football against uh, some grown-ass men, right? Mm-hmm. But there's always the thing where if young Ajax win that division, they can't get promoted because in all these systems, you're not allowed to be in the same division um, as your parent club. Um, and so it it takes away some of the... Uh, like glamour or prestige of the league if you've got teams in it that are doing actually quite well um, that can't get promoted or can't are just in your league as a weird placeholder yeah and, and yeah and, and then like like maybe this is just me but I feel like when I see that it automatically I'm not saying it, it does but I'm saying for me automatically it makes it like oh so it's not like quite a serious league because it's kind like, of, right. like you've got some teams who are trying to win it but then you have some teams whose players their main objective is like yeah it'd be nice to win but mostly we want to play for this other team so we're about like development and hey we're going to try different things so there will be occasions in which you're getting a team that like winning isn't necessarily their number one priority, which is an odd thing to say about a competitive league. Yeah, and then you've also got crowd issues, right? Like, mm-hmm. I think New York Red Bulls are a really good example. New York Red Bulls 2 are consistently really, really good in the USL Championship, right? You've had guys like Tyler Adams come through there. We saw him play against the kickers, right, mm-hmm. um, back in the day. They usually have a really strong team because the Red Bulls have such a great sort of uh, youth setup and the way that they bring players through. But they regularly only get like less than a thousand people turn out to to watch that team and i think this is true across most of these b team type situations is all you're going to get is hardcore fans of the first team who are willing to yeah. go and watch the reserve team you don't get anyone who is just a fan of young Ajax, but not Ajax amsterdam yeah no <laughs> i mean because why would you because it, it, it is by definition, a, a team that you support that isn't as good as the team you support. Yeah. And so it's not going to motivate you, the fan. But then simultaneously, like uh, going back to Send Until I Die, when they had the game against the uh, the Saudi U21s uh, slash Newcastle, uh, that, like, it, didn't, it didn't really have that level of drama because it's Newcastle's reserve team playing against like the, your first team. And even if you're beating your Derby rival, it's still like... It still feels a bit like uh, a poison chalice because either you beat a bunch of kids and it doesn't matter or you lost to a bunch of kids and, oh, my gosh, you lost to a bunch of kids. Yeah, yeah, I 100% agree. Um, It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing because I like it and simultaneously recognize the immediate drawbacks and issues with it. I think big picture, it's probably good for the nation in terms of developing talent. Right, like this is how a lot of Spanish players have come through, playing for Barcelona B or Real Madrid B or other B teams. It's how a lot of German players come through, playing, playing for like Bayern Munich two in the three liga, or mm-hmm. they could even no, they couldn't join the second Bundesliga. I don't think they're not allowed to go that high. Um, obviously, uh, Dutch teams bring in bring through all kinds of talent. Right, Young Ajax is the place where a lot of really good players get their start and then they go and play for Ajax. So in terms of development, I think it's a great, great thing but at the expense of the competitiveness and prestige of that second-tier league that the team is playing in. I would be curious, because I, I do not know this. Maybe, maybe it's like very obvious, and you can answer right away, Daryl. But like, I would be fascinated to see if you have a league like England where you don't have those reserve teams as much. Like You do have the U21s, but that is, like by definition, a reserve team. They're not competing in the championship. I, I do wonder if that lends itself to teams having more players that they then loan out, a la Chelsea, uh, versus like like you don't hear as much about Real Madrid like loaning out as many of their players as you do in most English clubs, but I would argue a big piece of that is because they have the Castilla team where they can send 20 players to get regular minutes in a professional setting. I think Real Madrid loan out players who are ready for like Primera División yeah. La Liga play, mm-hmm. right? Because I think uh, Real Madrid B is currently in the third tier of Spanish football. I want to say Barcelona BR as well. So mm-hmm. it may be that like if players just want to get their start, that's a good place. But if they're really ready to go, but like not quite ready to play for Real Madrid, which is, you know, a lot of Spanish players can be in that situation, right? You can be yeah. good enough to play for Real Mallorca, but not good <laughs> enough to play for Real Madrid. Um, yes. Then you have to loan them to um, maybe a, a, a same division, same division rival. I'd be yeah. interested to know if the Premier League teams put their... It's U23, right? So if they put their U23 teams into the championship, I'd be fascinated to see how well they did. Is it U23s? I yeah. Think it's, it's a... Because I think there was the U21s in that... Yes, that episode, was, but that's but... specific to the EFL trophy. Okay, okay, that makes yeah. more sense. Thank you. That's, that's what always trips me up, because that also makes it slightly more confusing. Yeah. All right, so, so if we did what with the U23s? If we had, like, Arsenal's U23s, which mm-hmm. is, you know, stocked with talent, 
um, if they played, if they just entered into the championship, like similar to how they do it in, say, the Netherlands, um, I wonder how they would do. Would they get destroyed by all these like really serious professionals who play in the championship? Or would that like young 18, 19, 20-year-old talent, would it really shine through and Arsenal do quite well in the championship? I honestly don't know the answer. I'd love to see it as an experiment just to see what happens. Didn't the owners of Watford sort of have that briefly? Where it was like, we've got two different clubs, we can just follow the players back and forth. Yeah, but never in, the, never in the same country, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, I, I, well, let's do that. I feel like we should, we should pick one team, and their reserve team has to then play in the championship, and we'll see how it goes. All right, can you, can you take charge of that, Total Soccer Show Initiative? Sure, sure, sure. I'll send some emails. I'll send some emails. <laughs> I'll compile a list of questions. You get Arsenal's U23s in the championship. Dear British Premier League. <laughs> That's the way to start that email, right? Dear Barclays Premier League, they'd probably like. <laughs> Dear the English Premier League. <laughs> I am writing from the MLS. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. Um, all right, Taylor. On that note, Marindin is rolling in his grave. He sure is. He sure is. Um, that's because working class people are picking up his grave and rolling it around. You know that man's name. That is, I'd like to think that that's an actual event that actually happens. <laughs> you guys celebrate Guy Fox, so why not? Um, I, I, I do feel like that documentary or that TV show, rather, is miniseries is going to fade from memory, and yet we're still going to make references to Marindin all the time from now on. <laughs> that will be the thing that we take away from the English game, if nothing else. There will be a Reddit post saying, "What are these guys talking about?" <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, all right, Taylor. Oh, on that thanks, note, Brandon. we were aiming for under an hour. I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna achieve it. I will say, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you again soon. <laughs>